Reinforcing Costas's suspicion that Eugenides had been responsible for Ornon's lost sheep, Boagus asked, Do you still baa like a lamb when he walks into the room? Eugenides shook his head. Ornon took me aside first thing after the coronation ceremony and explained it would be beneath my dignity. Alice and Boagus stared. Eugenides' expression was bland. He said that? Alice asked. He did, the king confirmed. What did you say? Boagus asked suspiciously. I promised to bark like a sheepdog instead. The Adesians chuckled again. You didn't, though, Alice had to ask. The king eyed him with disgust. Give me some credit, he said, and when Alice was visibly relieved, added, Not when anybody else could hear me. The Adesians roared. Bah! <laughs> Morning, lost sheep. I'm Noel, <clears throat> and I'm Caitlin, and this is the Atolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to get you through the wait for Return of the Thief, which is in only 198 days. It's February 9th, 2020. Today, Chapter 11. This one's a doozy and involves the only myth in the book. That passage that we opened with is so funny, and that whole scene is so funny because this chapter like yo-yos between the most human. Eugenides has ever been in this book, and still that kind of sense of awe about him. Like, it's him with his relatives, just just joking around, talking about your favorite inside joke. Yeah, you can see all the history they have with him and that. Yeah, and there's no, the stakes are not high. Like, you can tell they're family. Yeah, they're just talking to him like, okay. (laughs) We know you. We know you're going to cause trouble. And Costas is standing there like, this man could literally decide if I should live or die. <laughs> Real talk. What would you do if your own brother became a king? Um, Go become a goat farmer <laughs> in the Keen Valley. You don't trust Ray. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like not a, it's not a party. Yeah. And if it is a party, I'm reading this book right now, um, Destiny Disrupted, A History of the World Through Islamic Eyes by Tamim Ansari. And there's so much about, like, there was this one ruler who built this great empire, uh, and then the next guy after him was just kind of okay, and the next guy after him was an absolute fool. (laughs) 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 Who'd been raised in the court and, like... Never laid eyes on a normal human being. <laughs> no idea how to do anything. Um, Such is life. And tripped over his own feet. And that's who I would be. <laughs> In the grand scheme of history, I am that guy. <laughs> who ruins it for everyone. <laughs> oh, I was going to say that I had never thought before about, like, looking into the future of this little empire that Eugenides is creating and like what will his successors be like it makes me uncomfortable to think that far in the future like assuming assuming whatever they win the war he has kids he has grandkids Ooh, what it's like it's so based on the strength of their personalities yeah like I don't even really want to think about it 
And this is, I mean, this is what, hereditary <laughs> monarchy is bad, did you know? <laughs> it's not merit-based, wow. The pages on the Arandides family arouse my suspicions. Mm. But they're all very, I'm like, mm, why are these scenes in here? Why does Jaidi get a, two entire pages, two and a half, on just him and his friends being married and going to the boat and he's giving his mother some money and... Uh, he's really happy to be going, although the money thing could be important. But then Sejanus gets an entire, like, half a page. I'm like, what is what is significant about showing Sejanus being desperate and, like, the Baron Irindides is just eating his dinner, peaceably unaware of the news that is coming towards him on a fast horse? Why is that in there? Mm. I'm going crazy. <laughs> just, to, just to make us realize that if such people are given such page time for something that's maybe not that relevant they must be big i guess Ooh, i am the really hidden interested in the thing about Didi getting money for his mother yeah because he's worried that his father will want a younger wife so that he can have a new heir yeah um and that his mother will end up cast out and i want to know did that happen what happened to her Let's follow that story. I want to yeah. follow. I want to follow that story and the the sister, yeah, who was uh, ostracized for marrying. Yeah, the wrong cut person. off. Who I okay. Obviously, we're gonna get to it in Return of the Thief, but I want to know who this baby Aaron Deities is later. Mm. Whose kid is that? Is that Deities kid? Is mm. it his mother's? Oh, I don't know. But but uh, the king said earlier, like oh. Uh, your father could divorce your mother and get a new heir, but he doesn't need a baby. He needs an heir who is of age and who can support his father. It's like, Ooh, yeah. So maybe he won't do that. I don't know. I don't know, man. It seems like the the vibe in the Arandidi's family is very much like <laughs> you are the weakest link. Goodbye. Like, if you're not yeah. cutting it, if you're not down you with the agenda, <laughs> you are out. Uh, and it's the women in particular, who are getting pushed out. Yeah. You. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Maybe there, there, there's no evidence that the sister is not happier now. <laughs> yeah, she's peaced out, you know? Hopefully she's gone somewhere better with a brighter horizon. <laughs> <laughs> she made her choice. And it was to leave this arena but this also possibly suggests that the woman in the erandides family have like real you know morals or something that they're better people if they're getting shafted yeah possibly you know maybe they that means they don't align with the family's interests so they could possibly help out the queen or whatever yeah or maybe um you know it's possible that the that mom erandides has been totally on board and supporting True. this whole operation but she's still gonna get cut loose yeah if she, her presence is no longer beneficial and so like even if you are doing everything that you're supposed to do and you are serving this agenda you still are not safe mm -hmm. oh yikes man women can't win they cannot win in this world yeah. she uses the phrase the wine dark sea which I think is a really nice detail. Yeah. Just like... Which one is that from? Uh, just like in the Odyssey. Odyssey or the Iliad. Um, Did you see there's a new translation of the Odyssey by a woman? Yes. Yes. I haven't read it yet, but I'm excited. 
I read a whole thing about the way that she decided to translate the first line. Yeah, tell me about a complicated, complicated man. man. I read <laughs> that article. I'm pumped. A lot of Ornon. Yeah. In this chapter. I loved Ornon in this chapter. I want more of him. He's great. The more I I read on this reread, the more I think that you are right about him being extremely important. Yes. He's not a character that I had really paid all that much attention to before. Mm-hmm. But he's all over this. His personality comes through really strong in this chapter, I think. Yeah. Um, he says... So, he and the queen are talking about Jen when Costas comes into the room. And Ornon is trying to persuade the queen to send for Aulis and Boagus and says, His health was broken, your majesty. His constitution is not what it was before, and she says, before I cut his hand off. So, I do not like these continued hints that Jen's health is in question. Yeah. We get them all through this book and all through next book. And a little bit in the other, the one after that. And, like, I understand the guy just got stabbed here, but, like, <laughs> his entire constitution is worse. And physicians are gonna fight over him. Like, what's up? Ugh, I'm just so worried. Yeah. And, uh, at the end of Thickest Thieves, Atolia has just had a physical yeah. trauma. What are it's we gonna do? Talk about worrying about the future. We're probably pronouncing Alice and Boagus so so wrong <laughs> somebody out there is twitching every time they hear it uh what's the audi and boogie heckle and jekyll <laughs> rosencrantz and guildenstern what happens to them after this do they ever come back i don't know i think <laughs> aren't they in that tiny scene in conspiracy of kings when jen tricks the ambassador to a sword fight <laughs> They're just there to be, like, Jen's hype crew. They're the only people who laugh at his jokes. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be the the king's sibling, but I think I could maybe go for king's weird cousin. We get the myth in this chapter, the myth from Cathodicea, if that's how you say it, about Clemon and Gerosthenes. And the myth is told by Frezine because... These stories are are repeatedly the domain of women. Mm. The story has a lot of foreshadowing for future themes, I would say. There's um, the idea of slavery, um, the idea of the annex, uh, the idea of... Uh, the loving power of friendship saving the day! The power of friendship saving the day. I love this story. And something really interesting in this story that I think is significant is like the way it positions the relationship between mortals and gods is that mm -hmm. they make bargains Clemon, as time went by forgets his oath to the goddess to not tell a lie by moonlight so like he doesn't really become less honest but he just forgets like why he originally started being so honest and it says Ever since the gods created the world, mortals have been forgetting from where their blessings come. But the gods make their bargains for a reason, and they do not forget. Not in ten years, not in twenty, not in a lifetime. Gods make their bargains for a reason. Ooh. There's a, a plan at work. Yeah. And we don't necessarily have the whole picture for what it is. We don't know necessarily if Jen has made any specific bargains, but this does make me a little bit uneasy. 
you know? And Chen is really affected by this story. He's really worried by it. Yeah, he says I should have stipulated a story with a happy ending. I don't like this one. It's a, it's a, it has like an ambiguity to it. What do you mean? It's like this idea that is it what you do that matters or is it your intent? Yeah. Because um, Kleeman at the end sees that he has been tried and found wanting, so he thinks the goddess will take retribution, but she says, if you hadn't been the man you had promised to be, your friend wouldn't have saved you. Yeah. And doesn't take any revenge, because he didn't technically lie. And I think that Jen sees the good things that he does in service to other people as being, well, they've brought that out, like, that's not really something that I could be proud of. Mm. And so he is feeling that kind of confusion as well. And it has to do with, like, how Jen is doing, how am I driving, call this number, is reflected in other people. And, like, he can't stubbornly be like, I don't care if nobody likes me. He has to convince people. Mm -hmm. Because their faith will convince others. And that's the arc of his book! Bro! In the story, he was, uh, Quimon was judging the prince by his people. Yeah. Not by himself. Like, if his people spoke of war, he would know the prince was a warmonger. And what a contrast with the thief when, um, Jen is really in control of the stories, and which stories are being told and which versions. Mm -hmm. And now it's somebody else telling him a story, uh, and he doesn't like the ending. Also, this is an Aetolian story? It's from Cathodicea, Frezine says. Okay. Which is where she grew up. Which, side note, I want the backstory for Frezine. <laughs> if she was raised somewhere super far in the north that's very remote, that's only towers of red rock that not many people ever go to, ever, how did she get here? Yeah! Does she have Aetolian family? Was she the heiress to some Aetolian thing? I guess, I don't know. I want to know, man. Tell us stories of all of these women. <laughs> <laughs> we want to know. I want a short story on Frezine. And she probably, I imagine that she came to the palace as a very young person. But also, I don't know. Yeah. I, that's just an we assumption that I've made. You know who comes up in this chapter? <gasps> Our lovable baby boy, Sophos! <sighs> We're so worried about him. With all these sad news, or no news, I guess not not sad news, but no news is not good news in this chapter. I hate that expression anyway. <laughs> I am with Lemony Snicket on that. No news is no news. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Jen talks about how Helen might have married Sophos. Yeah. He says they had exchanged a number of letters. Which is so oh. lovely. Yeah. I like to see the text of those letters, too. Yeah. I want so many things. <laughs> I want too much. Uh, and I also love the little exchange about Atolia says uh, that she still doesn't understand why Edith didn't marry Jen. I don't know exactly what he says, but um, it's something like, I think the prospect of getting driven out of her mind might have put her off. Yeah. I love that Atolia keeps bringing that up just as a, like... How could anyone not want to marry you? Because <laughs> I love you so much, and I can't imagine that Edith 
would not be as in love with you as I am because you're wonderful. I just think that's so funny. Yeah, that's cute. The, the way that she has. <laughs> she can't express it directly. And speaking of Atolia, when Eugenides and Aurelius are talking, Jen says, um, like, the only people she loves anymore are you and Tileus, and you want her to kill you. And Aurelius says, um, a queen must make sacrifices for the common good. And Jen says, and if what she sacrifices is their heart, giving it up a piece at a time until there is nothing left, what do you have then, Aurelius, but a heartless ruler? Which is so significant because it just illustrates so well that Atolia, up until her marriage, has only ever really been a political figure and no one has ever thought of her as a person during her reign. Like, that's not even a consideration for these two people, for Relius and Tileus, who are closest to her. Yeah. Relius has not even really... I mean, I'm not saying he hasn't thought of her as a person, but he hasn't considered her really in that light of someone who is human enough to make mistakes and to need to love others and need, you know, and society. And that, that is something that you need to rule well. Yeah, which is totally a foreign idea here yeah i think what's cost us up to in this chapter i'm genuinely asking <laughs> where's he at emotionally he's just a leaf sailing down the river towards a waterfall <laughs> spinning around not knowing where he's going and i don't i also do not understand what is going on in relation to costas because like this is the chapter where Oh, it's so long and there's so much I don't even really remember but there's just like he's in the royal apartments when Jen is sick and then uh like he leaves and then because he, Jen he, tells him to right and Costas is like the queen told me not to leave and he's like too bad yeah I was thinking even before that like he leaves before he's been told to stay because the captain tells him to leave mm. and then the next morning Ion shows up if that's how you say it whatever <laughs> if that's <laughs> even your real name <laughs> and and it's like, oh, you were wanted last night and this morning. And Costas is like, oh, and now the king's angry? He's like, no, now the queen's angry. <laughs> and then that's when Costas gets the order that you won't leave the apartment without royal permission. You'll eat and sleep here. So I don't really get it. Like, I I know, I remember whatever that Jen, like, he's trying to keep Costas in the apartment so that fewer people will have a shot at killing him, I guess guess maybe is what's going on right because this is the chapter where he almost dies under a falling roof tile right i thought that was why but then why is the queen angry is she just angry because he's it's... violating rule or whatever atolia's position up? on costas is generally very unclear yeah i don't know how much space he occupies in her mind um because my instinct is that it's just part of the general atmosphere of, like, she's angry about the assassination attempt on Jen, and so now she's insisting that he keep his guards with him at all times. Okay. But I don't know why specifically that's Costas. I think it has to do with, uh, like, when she and Ornan, when she's not angry, like, the first time or what, I don't remember. I'm getting out of order, but when she and Ornan the first time tell him... Go sit with Jen. Keep him in bed. Ornan says he won't listen to anyone else's advice, but he might be more susceptible to your advice. So I think the queen and Ornan have kind of figured that 
Jen has a soft spot for Costas, and they're gonna try and use that to help take care of Jen. Yeah. But I... I don't know, man. I don't understand anything. Here's my, uh, big queer goggles that I'm wearing at all times that you can't see, um, making me feel like that there would be tension in Jen and Natalia's relationship about how close Jen is becoming with Oh, Costas. you see, I don't, I don't see it like that at all. No? No, I don't think so, because I feel like, you know, no matter how close Jen and Costas get and are, Jen and Irene have something different. But <laughs> <laughs> like she that's, knows. She's not in a competition with anyone else. Yeah. You know what and I mean? And I suppose that, like, continuing to make assumptions based on the line, if you have any mistresses, I'll cut off your other hand, mm-hmm. is unfair fair of me because that is something that she says at the very beginning of their relationship when she's maybe not as secure in the fact that he wants to be with her yeah there's also how much detail does atolia know about jen's plan here yeah which has a lot to do with costas even when we're thinking of jen and costas as more than just friends i still don't feel like that's a threat to Jen and Atolia's relationship mm-hmm. is what I'm is what I guess I'm trying to say. I do my picture of Jen and Atolia's relationship, like doesn't uh, allow for like an actual um, other relationship happening simultaneously, which does not mean yeah. that there aren't other feelings happening simultaneously. Um, yeah, I think if you know, I think if Costas was sleeping with Jen, that would be very different. But that's exactly. not what's going on here. Yeah, so. And I think that, yeah, like, she knows that. I just, uh, I love the idea that Jen is just like, well, we can't date. So he just sends Costas to get another boyfriend in, in Turkey or wherever the hell it is. So also in this chapter, just on a related note, is costas is again referred to by other people by like fellow guards and then Alice, i think as jen's lapdog or his pet guard which are both very loaded terms hmm. so <laughs> so the public perception is still where it was a few chapters ago that they are sleeping together is my interpretation of those terms i don't know how else to it's i where was that? There was a, a post on Tumblr about, like, um, Megan Whalen Turner reblogging Costas and Kamet stuff. <laughs> like, what does it all mean? What does it all mean? What does it all mean? That's chapter 11. Next time, Costas has a religious experience. Send us your comments, questions, thoughts. Chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com. Be blessed in your endeavors. Mm-hmm.